the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It's been far too long since she was on the show, but we chatted when I was on vacation last week. She is an incredibly impressive, outspoken patriot, Harmeet Dylan, it says here, this is news to me on her Twitter feed. I know she's opinionated, but it says that you're an opinionated knitter and sailor. Do you knit while you're sailing, Harmeet? Well, I have knit while on the boat, but in fact, I knit the sweater that I'm wearing right now. That's my stress relief. Yes. I I am impressed. I I don't know how you have the time to do it because you are incredibly (laughs) busy. Your range, not only are you a, a, a Stunningly successful trial lawyer, First Amendment advocate, also a GOP committee woman in California. You're on the media all the time. Um, you, while, while I was away, the big news broke of, of Roger Stone, and you've been writing about it. You've been on the media discussing it. Let's talk for a moment about this case and the double standards in the media and on the left. What happened with Roger Stone? Why was it right? The president, the mainstream media can't even get this right, Hamid. He wasn't pardoned. He did not receive a pardon. He received a commutation. Talk to us from your legal perspective, putting into context with Obama and Clinton. Why was it the right decision? And why did he deserve that commutation? And contrast that with maybe other presidents. Sure, absolutely. Well, in the grand scheme of things, uh, presidents have a power to pardon or commute a sentence. And most presidents have used that pretty sparingly. Most Republican presidents have done, uh, you know, less than 100 commutations or pardons. President Obama used this power over 1,700 times for commutations of sentences of people ranging from uh, drug dealers to violent assaults to a lot of other people that the president would probably call bad hombres. And then I think he had another 300 or so pardons on top of that. Uh, President Trump has done 11 of these commutations or pardons, and they have been very sparing in in just a handful of cases. And so um, why would one do a commutation? Well, for one thing, uh, Roger Stone is actually challenging his conviction. So he's appealing that. And so if he were successful on appeal, he would really want to be able to um, to be able to uh, uh, have on his record that he was uh, that that conviction never occurred. So a pardon assumes that the person is guilty and is simply, um, you know, wiping away from a legislative from a from an administrative point of view. So uh, I think it's great because the commutation makes sure that Roger Stone, while he's appealing his his conviction, does not spend any time in prison. And that's critical because, as you know, right now what they're doing in the prisons is letting all the criminals out 
right. and then they're putting these process crime uh, people who are challenging their convictions in prison. That would have been a death sentence for somebody who's elderly. Unfortunately, our prisons are doing a pretty bad job of managing the situation. I don't think anybody, even if they're a convicted criminal, should get the death sentence by virtue of negligence in the jails. So I, I'm, I'm glad that that happened for, for, for human decency. But why did the president do this? Well. Yes. Uh, I think it is uh, clear in, in retrospect that the Mueller investigation was a complete fraud, a total bust. It was politically motivated and manipulated, and it, it was unsuccessful. And so really the only crimes, and I put that in air quotes, that Mueller was able to obtain were these so-called process crimes of people allegedly lying to the FBI, which has been debunked in the case of Michael Flynn, or uh, pleading guilty under tremendous pressure of threats to their family or their friends or their livelihood or their freedom or their fortune. And so that's really why these convictions occurred in the first place. And they're unjust. Uh, and so the president felt like this was not a good use of the government's resources to jail somebody like this who's already challenging and also who should never have been subject to a uh, pre-dawn SWAT raid, uh, a, a, an incredibly intrusive violation of his civil rights. and and disparate treatment. Um, we know many Obama officials have gone in front of Congress and frankly lied. James Clapper comes to mind. And even Adam Schiff has, I believe, lied to uh, to his own body. And they have not been held accountable for that. So I think, uh, I think this is just. I think it is appropriate. I think it is proportional. And I think it allows Roger Stone the ability to continue to pursue his innocence, which I think would be really cut off by a pardon. She's Harmeet Dillon. Follow her right now on Twitter, P-N-J-A-B-A-N. That's P-N-J-A-B-A-N on Twitter. You mentioned my, my friend and former colleague, Lieutenant General Mike Flynn. Give us your, your legal determination, your, your, your understanding of what is going on with that judge right now. He was given that writ of mandamus. It was deemed to be correct, and it's still going on, Harmeet. Right. Well, there are two things going on here. Uh, one of those things is the judge's ego, and that was the first thing that's going on. I think he was happy to have this uh, you know, high-profile case. Judges are human beings, too, and they got a lot of media attention out of it. And then Zoom, it was snatched out of his hands. Um, he, the judge obviously had some pretty firm opinions about General Flynn that I think at this point should have actually caused him to be removed from the case, or he should have recused himself, because when he accused Flynn of being a, 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 a traitor, a traitorous yeah, tre behavior uh, of treason, uh, that is, uh, that, that's kind of what we call prejudging the outcome of a proceeding. He wasn't even charged with treason. He was charged with lying to an FBI agent, which we now know he did not do because the government hid the records, hid, hid the notes of the 302s that the FBI agents did. We also know that the government put tremendous pressure on him with his family being threatened to plead guilty. We also know that his lawyers at the law firm he originally hired really sold him out. And, you know, frankly, those lawyers, I understand, are actually still working in Republican circles. That's pretty outrageous. We seem to have a very short memory about people who betray us like this. And so um, it, this is a no-brainer. In our divided system of government, of checks and balances, only the executive branch, the prosecution, gets to decide who is prosecuted for a crime. The judge is a referee, he's an umpire. He doesn't have a say in the outcome other than making sure the rules are applied. And when both sides come to you as the umpire and say, we have reached this conclusion, he really has nothing but a ministerial function there. And the case law says that where a judge gets a chance to sort of 
look at this and really ask some questions is really to protect the defendant from the risk of double jeopardy or a case being dismissed and then, you know, abusive charges coming again on the same thing. That's really what the judge's role is. That role has been satisfied. Nobody is complaining. And so it's his ego that wanted him to defend his own position in the court. He hired a lawyer who is another biased judge who had just written an op-ed about the situation the week prior to being hired by the court. This is unprecedented. It is really outrageous for a judge to hire a, another judge to represent himself in the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit took, uh, sorry, the, the D.C. Circuit took a very unusual uh, position there that the judge's behavior was so extreme that it should issue a writ directing the judge to do a particular action, and he's still not doing it. That's where the politics comes in. The, it is obvious that the left wants to drag this out past the election. That's the, what's happening the here. The circuit said to Judge Sullivan, do your job, and your job. he refuses. Justice must be done, but it must also be seen to be done. We are with First Amendment champion trial lawyer. She is Harmeet Dillon. We've been discussing Roger Stone, General Flynn, and something else that you've been commenting on, tweeting about is incredible. So the, the, no conspiracy theories, statements of fact. There is a local prosecutor whose candidacy was funded by an organization that's funded by George Soros. And this, this individual has now taken legal action against the couple in St. Louis who defended their home when their property was trespassed upon and damaged. The McCluskeys is who I'm talking about. And in fact, the weapon they didn't use to protect themselves when they were threatened was confiscated, was removed by the police. What, what is going on in St. Louis, Hamid Dillon? Well, this is what's going on in cities around the United States. Uh, frankly, conservatives have not engaged properly at the local level and made sure that we play in all of these races, and the left has. So what we have had over the last three or four years is city after city in the United States having decent law, pro-law enforcement prosecutors be replaced by uh, public defenders and anti-law enforcement individuals. And so that's what we have there in St. Louis and the McCluskeys, even though it is their right under Missouri law, which has among the most liberal laws in the United States, by liberal I mean uh, permissive to the gun owner, to protect their property and to protect wherever they are. Uh, and so the, that, they've got that castle doctrine yes. that allows to treat their home as a castle. But even it's even broader than that. If they happen to be somewhere else, they have a right to defend themselves. And so standing on their own property, which is in a private enclave, which is not a public street, they uh, were threatened by a mob. Anybody who watches the news and is awake in America today knows that those mobs have frequently led to violence against property and violence against people. And so they were 100% within their rights and their instincts to defend their property by warning people that if they came closer to their home, that they could face uh, consequences. And so the fact that they're now being prosecuted for their lawful actions is purely political. It is a way of harassing and intimidating law-abiding citizens into just sitting there and what, being sitting ducks when criminal gangs come to come and destroy their property. Uh, no, I don't think people should uh, be cowed by this. I think that these people are going to be able to easily defeat any such prosecution. Luckily, they are very successful trial lawyers, both of them themselves. I'm sure they're going to get good legal representation. And I doubt that this effort to intimidate them will be successful. But what about the law-abiding property owner who lives in a trailer park yes. or it lives in an inner city neighborhood who isn't a trial lawyer and doesn't have a gaggle of lawyers and an entourage and Fox News appearances to back them up? What happens to that person? That person is going to be intimidated into not 
exercising their Second Amendment rights. And that is a tragedy. And I know that if they do in a city like San Francisco, in a city like Los Angeles, in a city where the prosecutor is more likely to turn on you, the citizen, than on the criminal, what happens then? So we are really facing a massive threat to our Second Amendment rights here in this country. Yeah, you, you read my mind because my concern is that uh, irris- irrespective of them being lawyers, they're clearly very wealthy. That is a beautiful mansion that they completely rebuilt from the ground up. It's, I think it was built in the 1930s, and it's a beautiful uh, a piece of architecture now. But, but the average American doesn't have piles of cash in the bank if they are abused legally by the governor, by the local prosecutors, by the local sheriff. So what is your message to those Americans who feel cowed after this experience with the McCloughskies if you're not wealthy lawyers? Well, join the National Rifle Association or your local gun group and also vote Republican because there really is only one choice. I'm sorry to say not every Republican is as good an advocate of the First Amendment as I would like and the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment, but but they are better than the Democrats. So you can you can sort of take that to the bank. So I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, indeed. Can I add one more thing, which is get training. It's a good idea if you handle firearms to handle them responsibly. I wasn't nuts as a person who's had some training to see the handling that the McCluskeys did with their firearms. (laughs) They could do a little better in that regard and be more responsible. That's the first thing I said when I saw that photograph. Somebody said, what do you call this? I said, untrained was my tweet. The way yes, those, those muscles right. were not under control. Have, mu- have some discipline with your muzzle control, McCluskeys, but keep fighting yes. the good fight. I'm so glad you, you added that. Training, training, training. Be armed, be responsible, be legal. We're talking to Harmeet Dillon. Now, the real reason that I invited her on the show, well, in 108 days, we have an election. And when I was talking to her privately last week, she said, she corrected me. It's not, it's not fraud that's the issue. It's not the stealing of elections. It's the integrity of those elections and certain initiatives that the Democrats wish to see federalized that could really undermine the integrity of one of the most precious things we have as Americans. Follow her right now on Twitter, P-N-J-A-B-A-N. She's Harmeet Dillon, First Amendment champion, trial lawyer, GOP committed woman from California. Explain to us, Harmeet, your specific concerns and what you've been seeing in the last few weeks and months coming out of Capitol Hill. Sure. So for a background, a lot of conservatives see news about uh, voter fraud, and there are instances of that. You can go to heritage.org, and there's a voter fraud tab there that gives about a 1,000-plus instances over the years. So it does happen on an individualized scale. The bigger concern, though, is Democrats using loosened restrictions in such a way that we won't even know whether fraud occurred or not, okay? And so with the advent of the 2018 uh, election, Nancy Pelosi introduced as their first bill of the new Congress, H.R. One. And that was a measure to try to put into place California's lax election rules throughout the United States. That's same-day registration on the day of voting, so there's very little chance to sort of cross-check the records. There is a uh, lack of a signature requirement. There's a lack of a voter ID that may occur. Uh, there hang, are all hang kinds on, of hang on, hang on. No yes. need for a signature when you vote. Well, well, no. I mean, think about it. When you have these uh, vote by mail, uh, when you have somebody signing up the same day or signing up electronically. Where do they have your signature? In theory, they're supposed to follow up with you and collect a signature. Right. In reality, that isn't being done in many cases. And so, so, but then add to that 
COVID vote by mail, automatically voting by mail. So you then have a lot of people who never signed up to vote by mail in the first place, like myself. Maybe when I registered to vote, it was 20 years ago. Maybe my signature has changed. I can tell you that it definitely has. And so what does that mean? That means that in jurisdictions that have the signature matching requirement and they actually do it, more votes are thrown out in vote by mail than they are when people vote in person. You know, because in voting in person, you have the person coming in front of you. There's a verification that a human being showed up. In vote by mail, those signatures are important. And uh, particularly, by the way, uh, Asian voters who have maybe signing their name in a different language, those are getting challenged by the left if they think that conservatives, uh, Asians are going to vote conservative. That happens in Orange County and other places like that. So it, it, your, your vote might not be counted. Your vote also might not be counted when it comes to this vote by mail stuff, because who relies on the United States mail? I'm not really particularly very reliant. I never send anything important through the U.S. mail. Neither the, the right to vote is the most important right we have as citizens. But there's so many other things that they're doing. Uh, keeping the polling places open, you know, a month in advance. Um, you know, I'm actually in favor of some flexibility, and particularly working parents need the ability to be able to go in and vote in longer hours or maybe a weekend or two beforehand. But, you know, when you have these elections that occur for 30 days and 60 days, another one that the left is trying to, trying to do is make sure that ballots are counted for weeks after the election. So in California, for example, in response to a lawsuit that I filed, the legislature passed a law and now they've made it a 17-day period after the election. So if you mail your ballot and it shows up 17 days after the election, they will count that ballot if you sign an affidavit in that that says I mailed it on. No postmark, by the way, because they're putting pre-postage stamps on these. It's pre-franked. And so there will be no cancellation of that. And so there'll be no evidence that you actually mailed in a time. What does that mean? That means that people who are engaged in ballot harvesting, i.e. finding out who the voters are who maybe haven't bothered to vote in a while, going in and collecting their ballots from them. If they're in a nursing home, they don't know what's going on, or maybe just stealing the ballots from a mailbox or a, a, a apartment building. Then they can hold on to it and see what, how are the returns going, and they could fraudulently complete those ballots. That's the risk. And given the importance of elections today, and particularly this election, I think any risk of one false vote is too much of a risk for us to have. And that's why we really need to be very vigilant on this. That's why Republicans have filed lawsuits and intervened in lawsuits around the country on these issues. It's interesting because when we think of uh, fraud, we think of election integrity. We, uh, I at least think of, you know, ballot stuffing when, when you know, the too many votes are generated fraudulently. But it's also, as you very uh, eloquently mentioned, the votes that are dismissed uh, based upon very, very flimsy evidence. So it can go yes. both ways. In, in the last right. minute, minute and a half we have with you, so what do we do? You're, you're, you're a professional. You can bring cases. But if we're not lawyers, if we're not going to bring cases, what, what can Americans do in terms of making sure the legislation isn't federalized or volunteering locally? What is your advice to our listeners across the nation? Well, number one, you have to vote for Republican members of Congress because they will oppose that in Congress. And if we have control of the Congress, this type of dumb legislation never gets out of the gate. But, you know, we have to have enough numbers to defeat it. Number two, you have to make sure that your state legislature, which actually makes the local voting laws, is Republican and make sure that they don't put in these wacky ideas. And number three, if you're unfortunate enough to live in a place like California, you need to play the game the left place. So if ballot harvesting is the law, <laughs> if early voting is the law, get organized and do it yourselves. That's what we need to do. And um, no names, no names, Harmeet. How, no names. How, how organized is the GOP in California on these issues? 
Um, our state party is certainly trying with its uh, limited budget, and we have lawyers who are litigating, but our state legislature is woefully outnumbered Democrats to Republicans. And I think, to be frank, a lot of Republicans, they want their photograph taken with the president, and they want the glamour of that type of fundraising, but people are not engaged at the local level. That's really where the action is, people. Yeah. The, 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 what, what, what jurisdiction Congress has over most of your life is relatively limited. The schools... Your voting, your roads, your quality of education, your quality of life, your taxes, all of that's at the local level. So it's really important to get engaged at the local level. The founding fathers tried to make Washington as irrelevant as possible for a reason. It's called subsidiarity. Things are most important politically where you live. So get involved. Listen to this woman. woman. Follow her right now on Twitter. P-N-J-A-B-A-N. P-N-J-A-B-A-N. She's Harmi Dillon. Keep doing what you do. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Some prominent liberals are starting to push back against cancel culture. Leading the way is J.K. Rowling, author of the fabulously successful Harry Potter novels. On Twitter, Rowling had expressed her support for a woman who was fired for nothing more than claiming that men and women are fundamentally different. The Twitter mob was shocked. I wasn't. This accomplished author has a more nuanced political philosophy than many of her readers. The uber-villain Voldemort was clearly a stand-in for fascism. But we also had an arch-villain Grindelwald, an obvious stand-in for Marx and his minions. Rowling has always known that there is a threat to human dignity from both the authoritarian right and the authoritarian left. She has an almost miraculous ability to read a cultural moment, and I think she's reading what the rest of us are. The writing is on the wall for cancel culture. I'm Jerry Boyer. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.